When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Hey, look, I'm going to keep this one short primarily because my voice doesn't want to cooperate with me. And uh, it's kind of starting to go. So listen, we've got some actual important announcements that will impact your listening today. Number one, you'll notice that my audio in this episode is not fantastic. It's just off a little. And I think we got it resolved. So apologies for that, but it really shouldn't impact you too much. Still sounds decent. Two, I now know we have covered almost every topic in existence when in a purely scientific discussion, you are going to hear words like gooch, taint, and chode in today's episode. And I reiterate, it is in a scientific discussion. We have, in fact, covered it all, folks. Welcome to our episode today as we talk to Dr. Shauna Swan. Dr. Swan is one of the world's leading environmental and reproductive epidemiologists and a professor of environmental medicine and public health at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. She is an award-winning scientist, an accomplished author, and a global thought leader. Her new book is called Countdown. How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. I think this episode is just one of those that really epitomizes what we do. It's a little bit off the beaten path. It's interesting. It's educational. We have an expert. And I think you're going to have some fun along the way. I sure did. If you like what we do, don't forget to support us on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash Smart People Podcast. You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Let us know what you think about this episode. All right, let's turn it over to Dr. Shauna Swan as we talk about, well, sperm and other things. Enjoy. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. What got you interested in the field you're in? Like, why take this on as your mission? So 
Hi, Chris. And the field that I'm in, um, I'm assuming you're talking about maybe sperm counts and decreasing fertility. That's where I am right now. But the broader frame of the field I'm in is called epidemiology. A lot of people have heard about epidemiology now because of COVID. That's what they hear about is infectious disease epidemiology. I study chronic disease. So that's fertility comes in there as does cancer, diabetes, and so on. So I I'm an epidemiologist. And then within epidemiology, what I work on is reproduction and environment and the intersection of reproduction and environment. And the way I got into this was um, when I was working for the California Department of Health quite a while ago, a community got concerned about their drinking water um, because they were located near a semiconductor plant. And that plant made chips, and they cleaned the chips with a solvent, um, trichloroethane, and that solvent went into this this waste tank. And then it turned out that the waste tank, which was below ground, had leaked, and it leaked into the drinking water, a lot of it, like 80,000 tons. And the community was very concerned, and particularly a group of women, uh, and one woman in particular who had a child with a birth defect, another woman who had had a miscarriage. And so that was how I got started. Was this leak tied to the cluster of cardiac defects and miscarriages that the community was concerned with? And that, Mm. I just went went on from there. But if you want to know about sperm count, I can talk about that also. What would it be called? What is the actual... Reproductive health. Okay. Yeah. Reproductive if, health. It's not like reproductive epidemiology. Yeah, it is called. I mean, I teach a course called reproductive epidemiology. Yes, okay. it is called that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't seem to be having an issue with reproducing given the amount of people currently living on this planet. I know that's a myopic view, but how would you respond to that? Like, hey, look, I don't think we're, we're struggling to reproduce. We've got more people on the planet than ever. Yeah, Chris, that's um, a paradox, isn't it? So um, there are more people on the planet than ever. And at the same time, the fertility, which is how many children a woman has in her lifetime, um, or sometimes a couple has in their lifetime, that number has been cut in half since 1960. Everywhere, including Sahara, South, you know, Sudan, Kenya, everywhere people are having half the number of children they had in 1960. So, you know, it's, it's a paradox. We're seeing the, the result of high fertility in the past. But now if you are trying to have a child and not very successful, having problems with that, needing assisted reproduction, you are feeling the brunt of the challenges to fertility that our modern world is imposing. Is this a fairly new issue? And is that why we're here talking about it? Chris, this isn't a new issue, but I think it's emerging as an important issue only recently. And it's funny how these trends go, isn't it? You know, things, global warming was Denied, denied, denied for a long time. And then people started paying attention. And my God, yes, there are all these problems and we have to do something about it. And that's kind of, we're about 40 years behind, I think, in um, fertility and sperm count 
of where we were with global warming. The story about declining sperm count and decreases in fertility, difficulties of young people getting pregnant, go back to the early 1990s, mm. right? So this is not really a new story. But for some reason, it was not listened to. And now I have, you know, I'm getting much better response and much more uh, reaction to this problem. As a witness, you're talking to me now when we didn't talk in the past. Yeah. Well, I think, and again, that's why I want to get into the reproductive nature of it, because I, I personally haven't, I mean, I know people who have struggled with pregnancy. I don't know much about it, and I haven't made the link necessarily to our environment, and, and obviously that's what we're going to talk about. But it also just seems like the topic of, you know, things like microplastics, right, or chemicals or toxins or coloring in our food or whatever, that is being put more and more at the forefront. That's a good point. And I think that is really part of the reason that um, this whole issue in, you know, that I've been writing about is more heard. We're being heard now. And I think that's right. I think that the, that people are becoming much more aware of the threats from chemicals in their daily lives. Um, so that's a good thing because those have been there all along. And in fact, they have been there, some of them much worse in the past uh, without being, people paying attention. So um, you're right. There has been more recognition of the dangers of environmental chemicals. And also, I think more and more people having trouble conceiving or knowing somebody who's having trouble conceiving. And it's it's more of a thing now, you know, uh, oh, yeah, I know somebody who had this problem. And and then people are starting to put two and two together. This is one of those topics where it seems like it'd be easy to say women are having less children because it costs a lot more. We've got more birth control. And, you know, I might know more people who are struggling with reproductivity because we have social media. So people make their business a lot more public. You know, it seems like there's often counter arguments. But what does the data tell us about why this is an issue we need to pay attention to? So the data, uh, you know, th there's a lot of it <laughs> and, yeah. and, and there's a lot of facets to it. But l l let me just say, I think the, the single most important fact that people have to know is that for the past 50 years, really, um, the measures of reproductive health have been declining. And they've been declining at the same rate, which is really interesting. So about 1% a year, we lose sperm, we lose children, and we lose children to miscarriage. It's not just men, men and women are having more reproductive problems. And the, the like I say, this increasing rate of, of problems, the fact that it's common suggests a common origin cause and also that these things are correlated, and they certainly are. So if a man, you know, sperm count is correlated with fertility, miscarriage rate is correlated with fertility, you know, sperm count is correlated with testosterone, which is, by the way, also going down, erectile mm -hmm. dysfunction, which is going up, um, uh, premature ovarian failure, which is women not having enough eggs left when she needs them, is going up. And, and so there are these trends that, if as you dig around and look at the data, you go, oh my gosh, this seems to be a pattern uh, in our world. And then you see that the growth of 
the chemical industry has proceeded also in the past 50 years or more uh, at even higher rate. So mm-hmm. it's not a parallel, uh, for example, chemical production, plastic pr- production is faster than 1% per year in growth, but it is definitely growing. So um, that's only correlation, that's not causation. So the causal part comes is a little harder to get at. Well, and, and again, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Of course, we could say, well, this is going up and this is going up, correlates. Let's just start kind of broad brush. What are the biggest factors leading to uh, a decrease in reproductive health today? So let's just start from the top. Um, So causes can be kind of in two camps. There's genetic causes and environmental causes, just broad brush. So this is not a genetic change that we're seeing because it's way too fast. Genetics evolution doesn't happen at this rate. So let's put that aside. And what we're left with is environment. So environment is very big. It has to do with your lifestyle and many other factors that can include the physical environment, um, even noise and temperature. And then it also includes chemicals. So in this, in this panoply of environmental factors, the one that I focused on are the chemicals. And that's where my work has led me. Um, and it's also where I think most of the action is. Oh. Um, and why? Well, reproduction is in, intimately bound up with the body's hormones, right? And we all know the need, you know, testosterone, we know what we use that for. That's usually called the male hormone, estrogen, the female hormone. That's not quite true because everyone has some of each, but um, those are really key players in our reproductive function. And there are others as well. So it turns out, and we just learned this in starting in about 2000, that everybody in the United States is carrying in their bodies measurable levels of chemicals that have the ability to alter these basic hormones. Isn't that amazing? It is. And it's terrifying. I've heard a lot about these, I believe, what, endocrine disrupting chemicals? Is that what they are? That's what they're usually called, yes. (laughs) And... That's what I want to spend the time on here. I'm glad you're the expert in it because so many questions. The first is, have we always had these? Like, it's easy to say, oh my gosh, we've just found these. But is that just because we're looking harder than we were 60 years ago? Well, there are man-made endocrine disruptors. There are natural endocrine disruptors. The natural ones have certainly been around. For example, um, certain... I'm trying to think what what's the name of it. There's something that sheep can eat in the field that make them um, infertile. Huh. Uh, uh, there are some mushrooms that are affect the endocrine system. There are quite a few. Uh, I don't study them, so I'm not fluent in sure. them. But but there are definitely naturally occurring endocrine disruptors. Those are not the ones I study. The ones that I study are the ones that have risen with the rise of the chemical industry, which began really in 1950. So at the end of the war, the petroleum industry ramped up production. Everybody was very pro-science because science had done a lot for us in the Second World War, right? And it was doing fantastic things, you know, the advances in medicine, advances in science and so on. And so they had kind of a carte blanche. And what they found was that if they took the waste products from petroleum, they could put those to use 
And those form the basis for the, the plasticizers that we have today. So the growth of this industry was intimately connected with the growth of petrochemical industry and um, also the support of particularly the U.S. for the growth of science and science, you know, better living through chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have an ad that says <clears throat> plastics, an important part of your diet, which is kind <laughs> of a shocker, but yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, um, and, and these ads that show plastics in your home, plastics in your life, your baby wrapped in plastics and so on. It's, it was just meant to be a really, really good thing. And they certainly are useful. We certainly need, need them, use them, but we didn't, really, you know, consider that they might have a downside as well. And that came quite a bit later. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. 2021 is looking up. New beginnings means new opportunities to grow your business. If part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, LinkedIn Jobs finds the right person quickly. To make things even better, your first job post is free. There's no better way to find the right candidate for your team than utilizing LinkedIn. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. And getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. Post a job with targeted screening questions and LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. Manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. And now you can do this all from your mobile device, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make the next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. And now you can post a job for free. Just visit LinkedIn.com smart. Again, that's LinkedIn.com slash smart to post a job for free. That's right. You heard it. Post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. And now we're beginning to see the repercussions of that. And that's one of the terrifying things about all innovation is it almost always has a negative consequence in the end. You know, maybe that negative consequence isn't larger than the positive, but we still have to pay the piper. And it seems like that is what's occurring now with a lot of our modern conveniences. What are some of the most present problems as it relates to chemicals that we, that the normal person deals with on a daily basis? Oh boy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's um, like plastic. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's t- talk about plastic. Okay. So in, in plastic, we have a number of chemicals and the ones that I pay most attention to are a class with the terrible name of phthalate. And, um, these are, um, for example, they make plastic, many of them make plastic soft and flexible, which is a property you like of your plastic, of your plastic bottle, of your rubber ducky, of your pacifier, of your sippy, well, sippy cup is different. Um, then there are the, pl- the chemicals that make plastic hard, opposite, right? And those are the phenols, the bisphenols. So everyone I think has heard about bisphenol A, but you know, that's baby bottles and um, that's, um, our drinking water used to be before people stopped buying them drinking water bottles. Um, that's also 
in our daily lives in many other ways, pizza boxes and, and, and cash register receipts. And it's very surprising places, it turns up. And um, so these chemicals that are widely used and, and are some in some uses plasticizers are really um, sort of omnipresent. Let me just mention also the that phthalates have the ability to make, you know, ab increase absorption and retention. So absorption into our skin of a nice hand cream, that'll have a bunch of phthalates in it. Absorption of a pesticide into a plant, that'll have phthalates in it. Retention uh, of smell, uh, so everything that's fragranced has phthalates in it, um, and so on and so forth. And we can, there's just lists and lists of things does permeate our daily lives, which is why these are in all of us at high levels, like 95% of people have most of the phthalates in their bodies. The CDC has shown repeatedly. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought these up because I hate to admit it, but I didn't even know that had to do with plastics. I know, I mean, almost every product that I see now, phthalate free, BPA free. I actually laugh sometimes because I realize people can just put free something free on the bottle and you automatically assume that well that must be bad right like they could put water free and you'd be like oh well then the water's bad you know it's there's this fear-mongering that i want to touch on but um let's stick to where we are phthalates and and bpa and all that what is it that's bad about these things for us and how do we know that okay so um why don't we just talk about phthalates and Perfect. Okay, so when I learned about phthalates, which was around 2000, <clears throat> I learned from a friend at CDC. He said, these are in everybody. And he said, scientists have shown that in animals, they actually mess with the genitals of males. Hmm. Pretty big, you know, claim, right? Yeah. And so I looked into it and it turns out there is something called the phthalate syndrome. And it was defined in rodents. And um, I don't know how explicit Feel you Feel free to, to get into it. What? Feel free to get into it. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what it does to the rodent is it when, it, when the mother is given certain phthalates at the right time, and these are phthalates that can decrease testosterone, so they're called anti-androgenic. Hmm. When the mother is given three phthalates in particular, <clears throat> DEHP, DBP and BBZP, which I can define if you want, um, particularly between certain gestational days, which are sensitive because that's when the genital tract is developing in the rodent, then the male has certain shortages, if you will. He's yeah. less completely masculinized. So he will have a smaller penis. Wow. He will have less descended testicles, less more likely to have undescended testicles. He will have a smaller scrotum. And the one of the biggest effects is something which people had never studied in humans till I studied it, which is the distance from the anus to the genitals. Now, this that's, sounds wait, like- that, a, that's, a, that's a distance that matters? Yes. Whoa. It turns out it matters a lot. Okay. Now, you never heard of this. Your listeners never heard of this, but kids on the street have heard of this because they call it the taint- Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I've heard of that. The gooch. Yeah. The grundle. Right. Okay. No, okay. I know all these things. That's like, what it I is. That thing. I've got a, a, a perfectly elongated grundle. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, I, the size of that, at least, I've never thought of. Yeah, right. So it turns out that this distance is 50 to 100% bigger in males than females. And it makes sense if you think about it, because you think of where that is, there's a lot of real estate to go in there in a male, right? Mm -hmm. And with females, not so much. So what's happening when the phthalates are coming into the body, testosterone goes down, the male testes does not make as much testosterone, and then the genital tract, which starts out, by the way, neutral, same in males and females, needs testosterone to become male, it doesn't complete that journey to masculinity. Oh. It remains more female. Okay. And the females are not affected by this, by the way. And so here's this little rat, and I read that and I saw that, and I thought, hmm, humans are exposed to phthalates. I wonder if the same thing happens to humans, right? Right. And so I designed a study. And I studied this and I had pregnant women give me urine and I measured urinary metabolites of phthalates. So I knew how much phthalates was in her body when she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then I got the children and brought them in. And then I measured the width of the penis, the location of the testes, and this gooch grundle in a genital distance. Wow. And... What I found was that the same phthalate syndrome that had been identified in rodents, we saw in our males. The wow. babies had smaller genital distance. When we published this in 2005, it was a pretty big deal. Uh-huh. And it was one of the reasons that um, these phthalates were taken out of a child's products. Whoa. Um, well, good for you, first yeah. of all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as somebody, I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, two little boys, you know, yeah. knowing that there's people like you out there looking at, because let's be honest, right? It's not every day we talk about gooches and grundles on the podcast. <laughs> but when you remove the, the, you know, the obvious hilarity from it, it's a, this is a real thing. I mean, this is, it's serious. And I, I don't care who you are, any male listening, when they hear something that's talking about, you know, size down there, their, yeah. their ears are going to yeah, perk up. Yeah. They're going to want to know what that is. Yeah. So, so Chris, what it, so I was asked, who cares? So what if this distance is a little shorter? And yeah. so I said, okay, let me see if it matters. So I got another, I made it, designed another study. And in that study, I got young men who were in college who were willing to come in and give me a semen sample. Well, not me, but somebody else. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and um, allow us to measure that distance, the antigenal distance, and the penile width. And um, they also completed a questionnaire. But the critical thing about that- That was Rochester, by the way. (laughs) University of Rochester. (laughs) Um, So it turned out that the shorter that distance, the lower the man's sperm count. Wow. So you have the link here. Right? You have phthalates going into the mother. We measured that. We have changes in the baby. We measured that. We couldn't, you know, it will take a while to follow those babies till they're able to have sperm. 
We sure. can't do that in them. But we can go to this other population and say, okay, here's men fully, you know, 18, 19 years old. They have their fully developed AGD. Is that related to their performance? And the answer is yes. Mm. And then another study did something similar. They took, um, this is a study in Stanford. They took men at an infertility clinic and they took men who were infertile and men who were there who had had children. Maybe they were there because their wife had problems. And it turned out that the men who had fathered a child had significantly longer in a gentle distance than men who were infertile. So it really does link up. This week's episode is brought to you by Stereo. Join us every Wednesday over on the Stereo app. After each episode, we're taking a deep dive of Smart People podcast over to Stereo so we can talk directly to you about the episode. Stereo is where people have started talking together again. You can be your very own talk host, or if listening's more your jam, jump on our Stereo Talk and ask all of those questions you've been itching to ask. Download the Stereo app and follow us at stereo.com slash smartpeoplepod, or check out the link in the description. We absolutely love Stereo. We're on the app talking all the time. Follow Chris and I and get notified every time we go live. Smart People Podcast can be found on Stereo at Stereo.com slash Smart People Pod. So again, join us every Wednesday over on the Stereo app. If you've ever had questions about the podcast or just anything in general and you've wanted to reach out to Chris and I, now's your chance. You can do so on Stereo. Download the Stereo app today and follow us at Stereo.com slash Smart People Pod. And now back to the episode. So let me, let me try and, cause I'm trying to follow and in general, I get it, but this is the kind of science. I mean, Hey, we, we're kind of here to learn and then we'll get into specifics and what we can do about it, et cetera. But at this point, the thinking is, okay, there's phthalates in the mother and those phthalates come from living in the modern world where there, these things exist everywhere. They get passed along to the fetus. They affect testosterone because there's less testosterone you have lower functioning i don't right yeah because there's less i mean i i'm trying to follow like it sounds like the 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 length of the whatever you were calling it that is just a way we can measure it that's not the problem the problem is what caused that exactly right exactly right you're a great student chris i'm trying i'm trying (laughs) so so this agd turns out to be really kind of amazing um i told you it was 50 percent smaller in females than males 50 to 100 percent it's true by the way of almost all mammals. And, and this is brilliant uh, piece of information because it tells us two things. When the baby's born, it tells us something about how much testosterone was in the fetal environment at the critical time that the genitals were developing, right? Because if it's short, there was less testosterone. If it's longer, there was more testosterone. And by the way, it works for females too, if the female has a longer than expected anogenital distance, it meant that her mother had maybe too much testosterone. Maybe she had PCOS or there were other problems that caused, sure. and that shows up on the female side. But but here's this, this AGD and it tells us what happened in the past. And then lo and behold, it tells us what's gonna happen in the future. 
wow. because we, it predicts that the boy will be more likely to be infertile, not definitely, but more likely to be infertile, more likely to have a low sperm count, more likely to have um, undescended testicles. And that's been shown too, that boys who have undescended testicles and have genital malformations, mm -hmm. they have a shorter antigenital distance. Gotcha. So, so it's all tied up. <laughs> so essentially what we're saying is, um, as it relates to your specialty and reproductive health, it's what chemicals directly impact, I'm assuming, and just correct me all where I'm wrong, are sex hormones, whether it be testosterone, estrogen, I don't know, maybe progesterone, I don't really know, but it's the ones that have a direct impact on those specific chemicals or, or hormones. Is that fair? That's correct. What the story I just told you um, has to do with chemicals that lower testosterone. Other endocrine disrupting chemicals affect other hormones. So okay. the phenols like bisphenol A, it doesn't mess with androgen, it affects estrogen. And okay. so it has a whole other class of effects. And there are chemicals that affect thyroid. And they those affect immune function and you're likely to, to get fat. And we have, and, and so our body has, you know, just hundreds of chemicals uh, that can be impacted by these, if you want to say, endocrine disrupting chemicals. The horn, I should say, the body has hundreds of hormones that can be impacted by these endocrine disrupting chemicals. No. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah. I, I was going to say that the thing that's jumping out to me is, and I've heard this in the past, is this the same thing as there's chemicals that mimic these things in the body, right? There's things yes. that can impact us that look like maybe yes. testosterone or something. Could you tell us what, what I'm talking about here? Yeah. I know I am way in over my head. Everybody listening this is like my most disjointed interview, but I am trying. <laughs> I think you're doing great. Okay. Um, so they're called sometimes hormone mimics. Um, and they have the ability to lock on to and block a receptor in a cell that's actually looking for the real thing. Mm. And they, they're impositors, if you will. They come in, they occupy the space, and then the body says, oh, I, this is occupied. I don't need to make this anymore. Mm. So and that's one mechanism. There are other mechanisms which are more complicated, but I think that one is pretty clear. You know, you're, you're pushing the real thing out of the way and saying, I'm going to stand in for this. And, and so... So I'm going to stand in for it, but I'm not going to actually offer the same exactly. benefits or results. What are some things that we are constantly in contact with that do that? Well, we've been talking about them. <laughs> we've been talking okay, about so the phthalates. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the phenols um, do that with estrogen. Um, there are flame retardants. There are this, the class of chemicals called PFAS, which uh, are people are very concerned about these days. And these are things like um, nonstick coatings, Teflon pans, mm. and um, the... Um, what is that? That 3M product that you put on your raincoat to keep the rain off. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? And yep. and and so on and so forth. So um, as you can tell, I'm not as fluent on these because I don't actually study these, but they're sure. extremely important. And and um, and pesticides, I should mention, also have hormone disrupting properties. As do scarily some medications. So it's not just in um, 
you know, products uh, in our home, uh, medications are in a different class. They're regulated differently. Um, but there are medications that are also hormonally active, aside from just taking testosterone, <laughs> which. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk to you about that. As you mentioned, it is, you know, is there a. I'm sure you've been asked this or you've thought this, like, it seems like, well, look, if we've got things that are just messing with our testosterone, just take a little bit more and measure it consistently until you get it in the optimal range. And we have now circumvented the problems of our current, you know, uh, you know, yeah. chemical laden society. Yeah. What do you say to that? Um, well, first of all, the, the changes that occur when the male is in early fetal development, which mm -hmm. is about weeks eight to 12, somewhere in there, those changes cannot be fixed by taking testosterone later. Mm. You, those early disruptions are permanent. Let me give you an example. I'll just go away from the phthalates for a minute and just talk about smoking. So when the father is smoking at the time he conceives his son, that son will have a significantly decreased sperm count. Numbers have between 30 and 40%. Wow. When the mother is smoking when she's pregnant, same thing. When the man himself smokes, he will also decrease his sperm count, but maybe by 25%. So that's one part of the equation. The other is that the, the changes that happen because of the fathers and the mother smoking will be with him for life. The changes that occurred because of his smoking, he can fix that. He can stop smoking. Whoa. So whatever is happening in utero, like a short AGD or a smaller penis, mm -hmm. that's not going to be fixed because that's a lifetime change. Sure. Okay. Wow. Now, men are taking more testosterone these days, and we talk about that in our book, and younger men are taking more testosterone. It turns out, very surprisingly, that adding testosterone through as a medication, as a supplement, will have the paradoxical result of lowering your sperm count. Oh, geez. Yeah, because your body you can't gets make some... it easy. I mean, come on. Right? Saying, well, you can't well, win, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Stuck at Home. Over the last year, some of us have been stuck at home, and that means that we've had a little bit more time to get into new television shows, movies, games, and books. Stuck at Home is the podcast that makes you feel part of the conversation in a time where socialization is needed more than ever. Join hosts Jason and Cliff as they talk about what they're watching, reading, playing while they are stuck at home. Cliff is a screenwriter and a TV writer known for Entourage and the Oscar-nominated movie Warrior, and Jason is the CEO of Starburns Audio. Hosts Jason and Cliff chat about what current shows and movies they're loving and want you to love too. The show has a lot of jokes, gets into deep shit, but also talks a ton of shit. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, another show you should check out is Stuck at Home, presented by Starburns Audio. Go anywhere you stream podcasts to listen. New episodes drop every Wednesday and Friday. You can also go to Starburns Audio YouTube channel to watch the video version of each episode. And now back to the show. I know that this might not be your exact area of study, but one thing I do want to ask is, what if we're not concerned about reproducing, right? So I'll take me for example. I think I'm done having children. I hope in a 
at least thus far, they seem pretty healthy. What prevents me from saying, okay, I did my job. I'm not really going to worry about plastics. I'm not saying go off the deep end, but I'm saying like, I'm not going to take as good care of myself because it's not going to directly impact my offspring. Chris, that is really a $64,000 question because honestly, most of our research has Mm -hmm. been in the effect of these chemicals on the unborn child or the young child. We, what we know is that periods of change in the body, rapid change, are periods of sensitivity to environmental chemicals. So you're also past adolescence, which is another sensitive period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, women at the round of time of menopause are probably sensitive. And people in old age, when hormones are changing, are probably sensitive, but they haven't been studied. So mm. I would say, you know, consider yourself lucky. Um, and I guess you probably have a good HD and a good sperm count and you don't have to worry. But I would say that, tell you that men, even if they have children, if they have a low sperm count, they have a higher probability of later diseases of various kinds like diabetes and heart disease. And the life expectancy with, for a man with a low sperm count is shorter than a man with a good Let me sperm ask count. you this. We, we keep talking about sperm counts and, you know, for the layman, I think we tend to think, oh, sperm, I have a baby. That's all it's good for. But it, is it fair to posit that sperm counts might just be a, um, a litmus test for general health because it's how, I mean, we all, most people will agree reproduction is one of the primary reasons humans exist or whatever it is. Right. So is it fair to say if, if, you know, if you have high sperm counts, that means things were working properly and probably will, you will continue to benefit from that health later on in life, as you just alluded to. Absolutely. And that's why we sometimes talk about reproductive health as the sixth vital sign. It indicates that things are going well if you have good reproductive health. And it means, because think about this, the hormones that are disrupted in early fetal life that can mess up your reproductive health, either by lowering androgen or putting in too much estrogen, those chemicals also drive every system in your body, your heart, your lungs, your metabolism, your immune. So they're, they're all affected. And, and so if you have this piece of it right, the chances are good you're going to have it all right. That's really fascinating. I mean, I've never... I don't know. I just don't think I've put as much emphasis or at least put the puzzle together, but it makes sense, right? If naturally species want to procreate, that procreation takes certain, you know, things such as sperm and obviously, so it helps to have higher sperm counts. So a lot of what we do and how we develop is to get to that. I mean, it's this whole waterfall effect. And and what you're essentially saying is, okay, if we're, if we can all agree that this is really important, let me tell you some things that are in existence now that are directly negatively impacting that. That's correct. And you know, Chris, we haven't, we talked about the fact that the fertility rate was going down, but Mm -hmm. I didn't explicitly say what we found in 2017, (laughs) which was that sperm count had decreased, you know, more than 40, more than 40%, close to 50% in the 40 years of our study prior to the publication. So this is not a new finding in the sense that there had been other papers of declining sperm count, but it's the strongest. It's the most significant. It's, I think, the best done. And also 
very importantly, we look to see whether the trend was tapering off, right? So is it getting better? If we, instead of looking at 40 years, we look at 30 years or 20 years or 10, do we see this slowing down? And the answer was no. We see no indication that the decline is slowing down. So this bodes pretty badly for the future. Yeah, that's actually, you, you, you jump me into something. I could honestly talk to you for hours. I mean, luckily I have the book. We're going to talk about that and, and give everybody that resource. But, you know, I, I'm, I've never asked this question before. I'm curious, what, what is your ultimate goal with the book or this message in general? <sighs> well, I wrote the book because I wanted p- people to pay attention to this problem. Okay. And I want them to pay attention to this problem because time is getting really short to change our behaviors as a society. Yeah. And I think we still can do a lot to turn things around, but we must change the kinds of chemicals that we put into our everyday products in a significant way. We must stop ingesting these endocrine disrupting chemicals. And to do, make sure we do that, because there's going to be a lot of resistance, we need good regulation to make sure that industry follows this path. Yeah. And the, that's the reason I asked is because as you were talking about 50% decrease, you know, it's continuing to get worse. I didn't want to assume that that was the purpose, which is to say, hey, look, you know, as a scientist, I see it. The general public is starting to see it in that we do all know people who have struggled with pregnancy or reproductive issues. So I want to highlight to you, this is a bigger issue than you might know at this moment. You know, I feel like we're at this tipping point. People know plastic is bad. People have an idea, but we don't have the detail and we don't necessarily have the data which you provide. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it, it reminds me of Maybe you've heard this. Maybe I'm just curious your thoughts. I I heard this thing where we, around the 50s, I think, as you said, we had gotten a lot of oil and I think it was oil and there was an abundance and it was like, what do we do with it? And so all these chemicals were created and one of the most harmful is fire retardants on things like mattresses, couches, like literally everywhere. And now- there's this whole thing, you almost can't avoid it. And it was simply pretty much a, a cause of capitalism. Yes, the, the the production of those chemicals and earlier ones that are thankfully banned now, like DDT and PCBs and dioxins and so on, are bad not only because they mess up our own bodies and the bodies of our children. And by the way, we didn't talk about this, but future generations as well. Mm-hmm. But they also mess up the environment. And they stay there. Those chemicals are persistent. So the nice thing about phthalates is, you know, they're gone in four to eight hours, most of them, really quickly. Phthalates, bisphenol A, they're what's called non-persistent. And that's a a beauty of them because if we stop using them, they're not stored in our fat and they're not, you know. So, Mm. but these other legacy chemicals are called forever chemicals and they're including flame retardants, and they are in our environment, and we're not getting rid of them anytime fast. We only have a couple minutes left. I'd like to ask the question that I'm sure most are waiting for, which is, what can we do about it? Because I'll be honest, this has been something that's been on my mind for about a decade, as I mentioned to you, and my listeners know, like health and wellness has been a part of who I am. But 
it's overwhelming. I mean, when I start to think, okay, I got to go to Whole Foods, I got to buy this, and my <laughs> bill is going to be four times the cost, which it just <laughs> is, right? Yeah. Everything organic, da 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 da. Now I got to, I mean, I, when I had kids, I looked up mattresses that didn't have all this stuff. I mean, I really try and it is, it can consume all of your brain power. Right. What can we do? Because it seems like, you know, and then we talk and you say, everybody has it. Da, da, da. It seems like a lost battle at this point. Well, I think there are many better choices that we can make. And you've mentioned some of them. Um, I like to put in a plug for the environmental working group and, mm. um, their guides. They have great guides for buying everything you can think of and cosmetics and cleaning products and foods and so on and so forth. And that's wonderful. But Hey, it's John quick producer note here. Sorry for the interruption, but you're about to hear some form of siren. And I didn't want you to think that you were getting pulled over if you're driving. So just a heads up and enjoy the rest of the episode. We can't really shop our way out of this problem, and we also can't recycle our way out of this problem. We we haven't talked about recycling, but um, as important as that is, that's not going to you know get rid of the problem. I think what we have to do if we want to make real change is we have to change the we have to exert our influence, I guess, through our voices. Um, uh, pressure and letters and whatever, however we make change as citizens to insist that the chemicals that are bad for us are replaced by healthy chemicals. And here's the kicker. Right now, a chemical does not have to be safe before it's put into the marketplace. That's crazy. So, and there were tens of thousands of chemicals that were so-called grandfathered in when the Toxic Substances Control Act came in, I think 1976, they said, okay, this is all in already, it's good to go. And they never tested them. The In Europe, they do something different. In Europe, they have a program where a chemical has to be shown to be safe before it can be introduced into the marketplace. So I think moving to that kind of legislation and pushing for that kind of legislation will be a really big step. Gosh, I, I'm so with you on that. And I know the counter argument, right? It's like, well, America, you know, less <laughs> regulation. But the, Europe, I mean, just think about it. It's, it's not like some third world country or some tiny place has enacted this. Like Europe, you know, I, I, I read a thing where they will ship us certain products because we can consume them and they can. Yes, that is correct. That they, is that's right. obviously a problem. Yes. They make products that are distributed here. That's correct. And other countries do too. Uh, so yeah. um, one last question. What do you think the easiest or, or what is the one switch change modification in lifestyle you would recommend to everybody to be healthier, like starting tomorrow? Is there one or two things we could take out of our house, change, do differently, just so we can start this process now? I would say throw out anything that smells good. Okay. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but, uh, you know, air fresheners and, and, and so on are going to be high in phthalates. I would say don't let plastic touch your food to the extent that you can avoid it. Okay. And then be careful of the papers and packaging that come. Now we're taking out all of our food, right? We have takeout 
from everywhere. And a lot of this packaging is not good for us. It contains those PFAS that we've talked about. So I would worry about takeout packaging. I would worry about <clears throat> food in plastics. And I would worry about cosmetics and scents in the home. Can I ask you, is food in plastics bad only when it's cooked in that plastics? Or is it even, can it leach in you know, and again, there's a lot of nuance here. We're not going to cover in a 45 minute conversation, but can it leach in, in just, if it's frozen packaging or, or, you know, room temperature or whatever it is. I don't know, Chris. I know that the warmer the environment, the more leaching occurs. Okay. What the bottom line of that is, I don't know. No, that's fair. I mean, just so we can all say, okay, maybe I know sometimes I might get something in pack in plastic packaging and then I transfer it to a plate and then I microwave it. Right. And right. I'm not saying that's perfect, but maybe that's one step better than than not doing it is that. definitely better okay fair enough well listen shauna i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation fascinating subject learned a ton the book is called countdown how our modern world is threatening sperm counts altering male and female reproductive development and imperiling the future of the human race you know interesting subject something that impacts us all uh, I'm glad that people like you are out there doing the hard work. Um, you know, where else can we find you? It, we will obviously link to this, but is there anything else you would recommend for us to do, read, uh, et cetera? So my website is shawnaswan.com. You can get a lot of information there, including tips and resources. And there we do have um, a list of things you can read if you want to read further beyond the book. And I have to just tell everybody, I have a copy of the book right here. I've read almost all of it, and it is really interesting. This is not a kind of nerdy or difficult or confusing read. I mean, it's pertinent, it's relevant, it's interesting. So uh, I, I highly recommend it. And of course, we will link to that. The book is Countdown. Shauna, thank you so much for your time and expertise. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me. That was Dr. Shanna Swan. I hope you enjoyed her book, Countdown. How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race can be found wherever books are sold. And now some quick housekeeping items before you get back to the next episode in your podcast queue. If you ever want to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you enjoy this show and you want to support us, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Or maybe you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast. And you can do so easily by signing up for the newsletter at smartpeoplepodcast.com. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of really interesting interviews coming up. And we'll see you all next episode. Don't miss our Smart People Podcast chats over on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Wednesday and whatever day. Just follow us on Twitter at SmartPeoplePod, and we want to hear from you. Our first stereo show was amazing, and we had so much fun, and every show since then has been an absolute blast. Stereo is the app for live social conversations, and we want to talk directly with you, our listeners. You can join our show, ask questions about the podcast, and share your experience and opinions. We want to hear everything. Download the Stereo app now and join us live this week. The link to the Stereo app is in our show description.